How many of you here tonight have ever seen church go sour? You know what I mean by that? (laughs) How many of you have ever seen the dark side of church, the bad side, the negatives that so many people talk about? But how many of us here are for changing that image at a place called New Hope Community Church? Amen? Let's do it different, amen? That is why we're doing this series called Loving on Purpose. It is so critical. Church family, it is so critical that we fulfill the purpose that God has given us in this world. But unfortunately, as many of us have experienced, that is not as common as it should be, is it? So we're turning to God's Word for direction. How does God want to do this thing? Isn't that a great question? If God wants us to be His people, if God wants us to be doing His work, how would He do things if He were in charge? That sounds so crazy, even ask, doesn't it? Lord, how do we be the people of God loving you, loving one another, and sharing your hope with the rest of the world? Well, last time we talked about, you know, organization is not the purpose here. Our point, our goal, our mission is not to be a well-oiled machine. Amen? It's not to be really good. It's not to be sharp. Some churches have met that goal, but they've missed the goal of being the family of God. Our goal is to get the good news out about Jesus, to lead people to Christ, to see them grow, and to see them turn around and keep those dominoes going. Amen? But if we're going to work together to do God's work, we're going to need a little bit of planning and organization. Here's how one author described what you see in the New Testament. I appreciate this so much. He says, in the early church, they were all about fulfilling the mission. That was their focus. Their focus was not on organization. In fact, what we see them in the New Testament primarily doing is starting ministry. Everywhere they went, it's just like, let's do the Lord's work here. But then when it got to a point of needing more organization out of necessity, they would give it some organization. But even then, they would stay lean. They would stay efficient as much as possible so that that organization did not get in the way of the mission or take place of the mission. Don't we see that sometimes in churches? That's kind of how we've sought to do things here at New Hope. <laughs> let's do it first, and then let's figure out how to do it. Amen? <laughs> let's do it, and then on the other side of it, let's figure out what, we need to be in, what needs to be in place to put some structure into it if we have to. But let's be very careful that we don't lose our heart in the process. Amen? Let's, let's accomplish the mission like any family needs to. Last time, we began thinking about some of the structure that God has provided within his family. We talked about that he's provided the role of pastors or elders or overseers. We've chosen to use the term pastor because it gets kind of you know cumbersome to say pastor, elder, overseer. We've just chosen the term pastor, but all of those are appropriate. And if we could, sum- we could summarize the role of our pastors that God has given to pastors, the assignment he's given them primarily in our family is to feed and to lead. Some people ha- call that teaching or governing or teaching or ruling ministry. Personally, I like feeding and leading. I like that, I like that terminology. But today we're going to learn about another role of leadership that God has placed in his church. And again, let's don't forget as we walk through this, this is for a purpose. We need to do things God's way, amen? And God has designed things in a way that will work if we'll follow his direction. Tonight, we're going to talk about the ministry of deacons. 
And it's talked about in several key passages in the New Testament. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul and Timothy were writing to the church at Philippi, to the believers there, and they specifically mention in their address to the letter, hey, we're writing to the saints there in Philippi, and we're also we're writing to the overseers and to the deacons there. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, the apostle Paul's writing to young Timothy, a young pastor there at the church in Ephesus. And he says, Timothy, he says in, in, in chapter 3, about midway through that chapter, he says, I'm writing these things to you because I, I'm hoping to come see you. But in case I don't get to come see you, I want you to understand how one ought to conduct himself in the house of God. See, that's the problem that many times we've gotten into into church is we're doing things our way instead of God's way. We need to know how God would do things, amen, if he were to set up his work. And, and, and he says that statement just after acknowledging the key role in the spiritual qualities of pastors and of deacons. But the passage we want to focus on today is Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Because even though they had not developed a name for them by this point, it seems, it appears, many people believe that this is the first mention in the Bible of this role called deacons. As we think about doing God's work together, we've talked about, first of all, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, does anybody know what we're doing? I mean, does anybody know what we're supposed to be doing here? Last time we talked about who's going to lead us. Somebody's got to step up and kind of point the way. We talked about that. But tonight we want to talk about, when we think about deacons, what I want to think about is anybody missing. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. First of all, I want us to think about the reason that God's Word says that He raised up this role in His family called deacons. In Acts chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, let me just go back and remind you, we talked a little bit about this over the last couple of weeks. This is in the early church. Some people estimate, certainly there were thousands who had come to know the Lord by this time. And some people estimate that maybe as many as twenty or 30,000 people. Can you imagine? You talk about organization. Can you imagine the organizational nightmare? Hey, we've, we've got three services and pushing maybe considering a fourth service. And then we only have 300 people. Can you imagine having twenty or 30,000 people? What are we going to do with all these people? Can you imagine that? It says, at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Now, it appears that in the early church, as new churches were getting started, the emphasis seems to always be on, first of all, you need to appoint some elders or pastors or overseers. But then, after a period of time, according to their growth, after congregation of believers continued to grow, it was harder and harder for those who were focused on leading and feeding to continue doing that and also to coordinate all the other ministry that God wanted to happen. The situation we find here is, is that God had mildly blessed. People were being saved. Lives were being changed. People were growing in spirit, spiritually. They were growing in number. And as they did, the need for ministry was growing as well, as you can imagine. I mean, twenty to 30,000, if that's how many, that was a small city, wasn't it? That's basically the size of Queensbury. They had a church, they had, they had believers, that many believers by that time. But as they did that, a couple of problems arose. Some people were being ministered to, but others were being missed. <laughs> Let's give them some grace. You've got thousands of people that you're trying to meet. You think you might miss something every once in a while? 
Okay, so so here they are. They've got, for, particularly here, there were some Greek-speaking Jewish people, and then there were some more native Jewish people. And, and, and the church family, the, the Christians, the congregation of believers, they were trying to minister to both of those. But for whatever reason, the Greek-speaking Jewish widows were being overlooked in the ministry that they were trying to do for them. But the other problem was the apostles saw that if they weren't very careful, that that was going to change their focus very quickly. Either this event itself, we don't know for sure, either that particular situation or that was just kind of an indicator of, oh my goodness, this is only going to increase. As God adds more people, what are we going to do? By the way, I want to ask you a question. A question about attitude. How do you see unexpected things in life? How do you see things that come up that you hadn't prepared for? Are you generally pessimistic or optimistic? Do you see things as problems or as opportunities? Do you say, should have known. It was too good to be true. Man, this whole God thing, warm and fuzzy, goosebumps. It was great for a few days, but should have known. It was going to mess up after a while. That's the way some people see things. A situation like this, that's what some people would have said. Or do you see it as, yeah, it's an obstacle, but it's not a deal breaker. Amen? In fact, you kind of expected that if you do good things, challenges are going to arise. They just have to be figured out. You just have to find a way around it. I'm so grateful this week that our leaders for our soccer clinic, you know what? They recognize sometimes it rains. And you know what? It didn't knock them off. They they just said, you know what? We believe God wants us to do this soccer clinic, so there must be a way. And thank God he opened up a way. And on Monday, we were able to use the dome here in Queensbury. Praise his name. Amen? That's the kind of attitude. The apostles, these early elders, we might call them, saw this as an opportunity. In fact, it wasn't really a problem. It was more an indicator. Do you see that? It wasn't a problem. It was an indicator. They wanted to make sure that every person's life was being impacted. Don't you appreciate that heart? Is that our heart, church family? We don't want to miss anybody. Amen? We don't want anybody to fall through the cracks. We don't want anybody to ever come in those doors. We don't want anybody to be impacted by us, that that we could be a positive influence for Christ, that we could make a difference in their life for the Lord Jesus. We don't want anybody to ever be missed. But they had grown to the point that they could not meet or manage all of those needs. The many practical ministries that the church was doing was going to consume the apostles. And it would cause them to either neglect their primary focus or for those needs to be missed. So they just realized, hey, this is an indicator. This is a good thing. We're growing and we need to realize we need to change some things in order to be able to meet the needs. That's the first reason that deacons were set aside. God's pretty smart, isn't he? He knows what he's doing. He's not surprised by things that come up along the way. So that's the reason for deacons. God's, God was growing his work, and as those needs, as, as the opportunity to minister to more and more people arose, God said, here's what you need to do. You need to raise up some people called deacons. But let's look at what deacons are supposed to do. In verses 2 through 4. He says, so the 12, the 12 apostles, summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, 
full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. But in verse 4, it says, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And we need to understand, why is it that God would want us to have this role called a deacon in our church family? What are they supposed to do? What's their purpose? Well, first of all, sometimes you can learn something by learning what it's not, right? Let's talk about what it's not, because some of you come from backgrounds that your idea of what a deacon is, who a deacon is, and what they're supposed to to do has been tainted by ideas that are not biblical. First of all, deacons are not a board. First of all, let me just say this. We don't need any boards in our church. Who came up with that idea? Isn't that a corporate idea? A board? Shouldn't things that we do in our church be ministries? A deacon ministry? A pastoral ministry? A prayer ministry? Who came up with this board idea? That sounds like we're a corporate group, doesn't it? Is that what we're trying to be? No, it's not. Especially when you see what deacons are, we're going to talk about here in just a minute. If anybody should be called a ministry, it should be the deacon ministry. Secondly, they are not a ruling body. Now, some of you come from back, this is very important because some of you come from backgrounds where the deacons have taken on a ruling function in the church. The deacons have become kind of a hybrid of what a deacon ministry is supposed to be and also what an elder body is supposed to be. Actually, in many churches, the deacons have become basically what I believe the Bible is describing as the elders. So much so that in many churches, the deacons are seen as over the pastor or pastors. But in Scripture, you never see that. You never see them having that function or that role. Now, let me tell you what I think has happened. Many times, it's just a practical thing. Many times in churches, what you have is you have people that have been uh, recognized as God working in their lives. They've been set aside as deacons. And those people are there year in and year out. And, and many times, praise the Lord, okay? Many times, maybe not. But many times, praise the Lord, all right? But what you have many times is you have in many churches, there is only one pastor. And you have that pastor. And unfortunately, many times, pastors do what? They come and go, don't they? I mean, the average tenure of a pastor is somewhere between two and four years. Are you kidding me? I don't even know where Walmart is after two years, much less what we're doing as a church. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm all about longevity. Let's stick together for life unless God calls us in another direction. Amen? But unfortunately, it's, it's, I think it's a very practical thing because they only have one pastor. And, I do, and we talked about it last week. The biblical model does seem to be a team of pastors working together. And I think that's part of the reasons that, that, that we see that happen in churches because don't we sense that the leadership in our church, even though we talked about, yes, God may raise up one of those people as the primary point person, but don't we kind of sense there should be a team of people? Okay, so what happens from a practical standpoint is because there's only one pastor and because those pastors come and go, the church family just begins to recognize those deacons as kind of the leaders of the church de facto. But unfortunately, that is not what the Bible teaches they're supposed to be doing. Let's talk about what deacons are. Actually, it's not exactly clear specifically what deacons are supposed to do. But in this passage, we get a description of the kind of things they do. In general, the New Testament leaves that kind of open. 
It leaves it flexible. But there's two clues here. First of all, the word deacon. Does anybody know what that word means? The word deacon literally means a servant. It means a server or a waiter, or you could say a minister. Deacons in a church are to be focused on serving. In this passage in Acts chapter 6, it says, rather than being over the pastors, they are assistants to the pastors. God wants to make sure that the pastors or the elders are leading and feeding, so he gives them some spiritually mature men to assist them in making sure as many as possible are being ministered to so the pastors don't lose their primary focus of seeking God's direction for the church. Now, I said last week, that does not mean that pastors don't do ministry. In fact, it says here they have a ministry what? The ministry of the Word of God and prayer. Okay, that is their primary ministry. But that doesn't even mean that pastors don't get involved in hands-on in in the lives of people ministry. It just means that they have a focus that we want to make sure that they stay for our church family. So God raised up deacons to help them keep that focus. Remember what we're talking about today? Is anybody missing? Are you with me, church family? We don't want anybody to be left behind. Is that our heart? I wonder, I said at the beginning of the service, there are seasons of life that we go through. There are some people in this room right now who are in a season of their life where they need help in this area, they need help in that area, they need help in this area. It might be a couple, it might be a single adult, it might be a youth, it might be a child. We want to get better and better at ministering to as, as many people as we possibly can. Amen? Nothing is missed. Deacons help us to keep an eye on that. It can be direct ministry, meaning they meet the need themselves, or in a growing church, it means many times indirect ministry. They're going to work through others. Now, what I mean by you look at the book of Acts. If there were thousands of people, 3,000, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, if there were thousands of people, there were seven men set aside as deacons. Do you think they were doing all the ministry? No. God shows us from the beginning he was giving some people with spiritual maturity, we're going to talk about this in just a minute, some responsibility to to make sure that we work together as a body to not miss any of the needs of what God wants to do in people's lives. By the way, let's talk about our plan for New Hope. So far, we really haven't needed deacons. Remember, the New Testament pattern is we start out with the pastoral leadership, but then later, as the needs get beyond the ability for us to spontaneously, and thank God we've been able to do that in a, in a great way, spontaneously, relationally, we've been able to know about each other and take care of each other, pastors and the rest of us doing a pretty decent job of keeping an eye on all that. But as we grow, that becomes more difficult, doesn't it? How do you know? How do you know when someone's hurting? How do you know when someone's struggling? How do you know when somebody's been gone for three weeks? How would you know? Unless we take roll during the service. How do you know that somebody hasn't been here for a few? Unless somebody just happens to notice. And it'll probably work like this. We have growth groups in our church. And you're involved in a growth group. And in those groups, you're learning together. You're praying together. You're serving God together. You're able to keep up with one another. You're able to stay in contact. You know somebody. Somebody knows you. And you're able to meet a lot of the needs. Somebody's having a baby. Great. Our group will make you meals for the next week. That's wonderful, isn't it? They're the people that would know about that need, wouldn't they? But sometimes there are going to be things that are kind of bigger than that group can handle. 
Okay, if somebody had a major crisis in their group, they might need some other groups in our church to come along and help. If somebody lost their job, if somebody was paralyzed for six months, that group can't make meals for six months, can they? So we might need somebody to help coordinate this group and that group working together. Guess who that would be? Deacons. They might help clusters of groups so they would have a bigger picture of what the groups are doing. And then sometimes you have things that come up in your group and everybody goes, we don't know what to do with that one. That's pretty serious. Amen? I mean, we're praying for you, brother, but we're not trained for this. Let's call our deacon. Hopefully you've got some people with spiritual maturity. You've got some people that you know that can kind of help with situations like that. And they're working together with our care pastor, Pastor Chris, to make sure, to the best of our ability, that we're not missing what God wants to do in everybody's life. You know what that sounds a lot like to me? It sounds a lot like something we read in Exodus 18. In Exodus 18, the Lord told Moses through his father-in-law, in verses 21, in verse 21 it says, Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place them over as leaders, over them as leaders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Let them judge the people at all times, and let it be that every major dispute they will bring to you, but every minor dispute they themselves will... Doesn't that sound like what we were just saying? So it will be easier for you, it won't kill you guys, and they will bear the burden with you. And if you do this thing and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people also will go to their place in peace. Isn't that awesome? God has a plan. God has a plan for every single person. Friends... In the book of Luke, chapter 15, it seems to give us the impression that God is not happy when one person is missed. He can't rest. If he had a hundred sheep, he uses a couple of examples, a hundred coins, and only one was missing, he would stay up all night looking for it. I hope that's our heart here too. Amen? God, help us. Help us to make plans so that we can do everything we can to minister to as many people as we possibly can. That's the role of deacons. But next, I want us to think about uh, the requirements for deacons, because the Bible says there are some requirements. There are some things that we should think about when we set aside these people called deacons. In verse uh, 3, it says, Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. Now, it's actually always kind of puzzled me a little bit. Deacons are men who've been called specifically to serve. They don't have a leading function. They don't have a teaching function, although they could be teachers in our church. But why would there be, why can't everybody just serve? I mean, you know what I'm saying? If they're just supposed to be servants, why do they need to have spiritual qualifications? Here's what I think the answer to, is, to that is. Deacons are going to be dealing with people. Enough said. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> People, wow, are messy, ain't we? We are, aren't we? Every single one of us in this room, we're messy. And you know what? Deacons working together with us in our church family, they're going to be helping to help people resolve difficulties. Maybe they'll be working with a couple. Couldn't you see a deacon and his wife meeting together with a couple who's struggling with their marriage, praying with them, mentoring them? They need a little bit of maturity, don't they? 
They need to have grown somewhat in their faith. The, the ability to, to lead people in that kind of way. They're going to be dealing with, you know what, sometimes you ain't going to like how somebody looked at you. And, you know, we're just praying that, you know, you'll be mature enough to get over that. But if you just can't get over it, and I'm mad at that person and they're mad at me, then we need some help, don't we? We need to sit down. We need to talk this out. Who are we going to call? We could call our deacon. A spiritually mature person who has the ability to help us work through things in a godly kind of way. They're also going to be meeting needs. And you need wisdom when you're meeting people's needs, don't you? There's traps in that sometimes. There's, there's ways we can mess up sometimes. Or there's, there's, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things to think about. So all of that requires wisdom and maturity. There's actually a longer list in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that I want to read to you. Uh, 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13, it says, Deacons likewise, it's been talking about pastors, but now it talks about deacons. Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, honorable people, not double-tongued, not saying one thing in one situation and another in another situation, not addicted to much wine, and basically, I mean, it's dealing with alcohol, but it's talking about ex- not an excessive person, um, let's see, or fond of sordid gain, not a money-loving person, uh, because they may be dealing with benevolence. You don't want a crook <laughs> managing any money, amen? <laughs> okay. Anybody that's hungry for money, you don't want them involved with that. But holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. You want this to be a person who walks with God and keeps short accounts with other people. Uh, these men also first must be tested. Okay, it sounds like some sort of examination. And not to say, you know, you got to put them through the ringer. But I mean, they're... they're they need to be talked to. They need to be, you know, examined in some sense by somebody to make sure that they're ready for this, that they're equipped for this. Then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. And and beyond reproach doesn't mean perfect, okay? What it means is there's nothing major, you know, you can't say, you know, if, if if the guy that we're getting ready to install as a deacon as an insurance man or, you know, or, or a salesman of some kind. You, can't, you, you don't want to be able to accuse that person of something negative or hurtful or that they cheated you. You know what I'm saying? Those kind of things. So this person's blameless. There's nothing that can be brought against them. That's the kind of thing that's talking about. Uh, women, or that can be translated wives. Many of you translate say wives must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children, of their households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. It's a great thing. It's a great privilege to serve as a deacon in a church family. Um, It does appear, like pastors, that these are to be men. Now, some people believe that it should be translated there in verse 11, uh, women, and so they translate that as women deacons or deaconesses, and I certainly understand that translation. I think in the context here, it makes more sense that he's talking about the wives, and certainly a pastor's wife or a deacon's wife should be godly women who can serve alongside of their husbands. But in the future, and very likely in the near future, as we consider setting aside men and their wives to serve alongside of them, we need to consider these qualifications. We'll probably come back and study them in a little bit more detail. But again, let's don't forget, here's the bottom line. God, here we are, church family. I've talked about this. There's kind of a drum roll. I believe we hear God saying to us, we're getting ready to move forward. Okay? And God is stirring us. 
God's kind of walking through the camp. He said, okay, guys, we're about to take some steps of progress here. Let's make sure that we're all on the same page, that we're organizing. Isn't it kind of cool? I mean, of all the things God could have said, there's, it's not a lot of organization, is it? And there's really two primary roles that he kind of defines. And then actually, even in one of those, there's a lot of creativity, a lot of flexibility. God gives a lot of flexibility, a lot of creativity in his family. But he gives some basic roles so that we can be prepared to move forward together. Now, for some of us, you know, you might say, oh, that doesn't really pertain to me. You're talking about deacons, talking about pastors. Well, let's just put it this way. If we don't get these things right, new hope ain't going to be right. Do you need a good church family? Amen. It pertains to me. How about you? So tonight, I want to ask you, would you pray for us? Pray, not that God would make us perfect. Not that God would bring us perfect people. If God's going to raise up any deacons, their wives and pastors and their wives in this church family, he's going to have to use messed up people. Amen? Because that's all we got. (laughs) But you know what? God is going to raise up some people in this church family. Would you pray with me that as we move forward? And you know what? I don't know what all this is going to look like. I think I've seen in God's Word, I think I see as I serve the Lord, It's kind of dynamic. It's going to change over time. Is that okay with you? It's going to shift. It's going to adjust. Some people don't like that. They want it locked in for life. Well, that doesn't seem like the Lord to me. He adjusts. He shifts. We'll have to make adjustments. We'll have to learn some lessons. But here's what I see coming up ahead. God is saying to us, we need to get some leadership in place. And is God either calling you to be one of those leaders Or is God calling you to be a person who can support their leadership and help us move forward to be that beautiful body of Christ he wants us to be? Next week, we're going to talk about all of us. God needs us to raise up some leaders, amen? But really, we said last week, all of us are leaders, aren't we? We're kings and we're priests to our God. Would you ask God what role you're supposed to play? You know, I, there's a lot of things I've learned since being a pastor that before I was a pastor, I didn't really pick up on in, in the Lord's work. That's something I'm really sensitive to now. I hear people maybe in my family or people across the country that I talk to, they say, yeah, yeah, my church is doing some things, but they don't really need me. <laughs> don't say that. They don't need you. Oh, yeah, yeah, they got this and that. We're going to learn next week it's not the same without you. It's really not. Would you ask the Lord tonight, God, what are you stirring in my heart? How can I contribute? Are you grateful for what God has done in your life? How can I contribute to God expanding that even more? You know, one day we're going to look back and some of us are going to say, you know, remember those little blue chairs and you know, we had the three services and, you know, all these memories. I, I remember my kids and Shannon, some of us, some of the early people. I remember the first time, we still got a picture of the kids cleaning the men's bathroom, you know, and the ladies, first time we ever came to the building, moving these walls. But you know what? As I said earlier, we ought to have more dreams than memories. Friends, I'm starting to see it. God's got something just over the hill for us. Are you getting ready with us? You know what, tonight, 
If you're here and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, can I just share with you, you're the reason we're here. I don't mean to put that directly on you, but what, what I'm trying to say, not you necessarily, as if you have to feel like there's a spotlight on you, but can I just share with you the whole reason that God has left his people in this world is that hopefully, if we don't mess it up, we can show Jesus to a world that so desperately needs him. Brenda and I, I pray, we're trying to get better. We're not very good. We're trying to get better. I pray that in our feeble efforts so far as a church, I pray that God has just said to you, he is real. He's alive. He cares about you. He knows you're a sinner. He knows you've messed up a lot. He knows more than you do, actually. But he's willing to forgive you. It's the greatest story. That's why we're so serious about this stuff. I want to keep this beautiful because I want more people to see Jesus. It's the greatest story ever told. The God of the universe humbled himself so that we, the ones who had done wrong, could be made right with him. It's incredible, isn't it? Better than any religion you've ever heard of. It's not religion. It's about a relationship with your creator. Have you ever come to a place in your life and said, Jesus, I'm in. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Please come into my life. Be my savior. Make me one of your children. Have you tonight? If you haven't, you can do it right now. On almost a weekly basis, someone is making that decision here at New Hope. Why why couldn't this week be your week? Amen. The rest of you have heard the challenge. Is God speaking to your heart? Some of you know right now something God wants you to do, and you just need to do it. You've been hemming and hawing. You've been circling the wagons. You've been holding on to the back of the seat every week. It is time to just take the plunge. And Stephen Curtis Chapman says, I'm diving in. <laughs> Let's go. Amen? Maybe you need to take that step tonight. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your wisdom. Lord, we thank you in advance for godly men and women who are going to serve through the years ahead. It's not hard for us to imagine them because of all the godly men and women who've served here in the past. We love you, God. You are so wise. You are so good. We would only dream that we could be a part of God's family. And Lord, even then, it would, it would seem like it'd have to be in heaven. But God, you've made it possible for us to participate in your kingdom's work here on this earth. I pray for a young person here tonight who's trying to think about what they're going to major in in college, but Lord, they haven't really thought about you and your work. And they would just get a glimpse tonight of being a part of your church is the greatest goal in life is to find out where do I fit in into God's family. Lord, help us all to ask that question tonight. If there's anybody here tonight that's not sure that they're even part of your family, I pray that right now they just say, Jesus, please forgive me. Please come into my life and be my Savior. God, move in our midst right now. Speak to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.